Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Off we go again, kicking off another week on Football Social Daily with daily updates on everything Premier League. And we're straight into an international break as well. Two weeks without any Premier League football, which will seem like a lifetime given how the games have fallen lately. But we'll be making sure you're on top of the latest news as it does happen, as well as England's World Cup qualifiers against the mighty San Marino, the giant Albania and Poland as well. We've got Marley Anderson on the podcast this morning with me. How you doing, Marley? Hello, guys. Yep, very much glad there's an international break because it means I don't have to watch Newcastle for two weeks. So, yeah, <laughs> bring it on. Bring it on. Saving grace. <laughs> and alongside Marley, we've got Niall as well. How you doing, Niall? Hi, guys. Yeah, very good. Thank you. I'm Jim Salverson, and on today's podcast, we're going to be talking Tottenham. Spurs turned around their recent embarrassment with a win over Aston Villa last night. But centre of the show, as always, was Jose Mourinho and his post-match comments. We'll unpick them a little bit later. Plus, we'll be looking back at our heroes and villains from the weekend. Who are you going to pick from the last few days? And how can Marley criticise Steve Bruce in a slightly different way to he normally does on a Monday? That is I'm coming sure up. Very, I'm sure you will. You're a very talented man. Um, but there are a couple of brilliant podcasts available like from... there are a couple of brilliant podcasts available from this weekend just gone if you want to go and get them on Sunday Fergal, Rob and Jay unpick the weekend's action on the review show for Football Social Daily and on Saturday there was a really interesting and eye-opening chat about the trials of women who work within the game of football the stuff they face every day with Michelle Owen and Niall was on that podcast as well and it prompted a review we've had in from Not A Karen on Apple Podcasts as well, who says, thanks so much for your discussion about Sarah Everard and the difficulties women face on a daily basis. I was so heartened that you have used your platform that reaches so many men and women to educate and advocate for women's safety and equality. Truly, thank you. So I thought that I'd read that out because it was a really nice comment from Notta Karen. So thank you for leaving that review. And also, if you want to leave a review, you can do via Apple 
podcasts or via Spotify or however you listen to podcasts, you can do that. And you might get a shout out on the show as well. They don't all have to be as heartfelt and serious as that one. By the way, you can take the <laughs> if you like, but it was nice to hear that one as a response to Saturday's show. And you can go back in the timeline, listen to that. And if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, make sure you do subscribe or follow so you never miss a show. But let's kick on with the very final game from the weekend's action. It was Aston Villa nil. It was Tottenham 2. Following on from Tottenham's embarrassment in the Europa League, losing 3-0 and getting dumped out of that competition. How important was this win to get this under his belt after the weekend's disappointment or the week's disappointment in Europe? How important was it for Jose Mourinho to get a win here, Niall? Pretty important, I think, especially considering how he acted after the game in his post-match interview in Croatia. He just looked on the floor and we discussed this as well over the weekend about how, you know, in years gone by, Mourinho had such a uh, an uncrackable demeanour, didn't he? He was always so confident and bullish in his press conferences. They used to call him Mr Motivator when he was at Chelsea because of his way of he wore picking spandex up players. all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daco spandex. <laughs> his way of being able to, you know, get the players up for things and and keep them going and ticking over game after game after game at that high performance level. But I've never seen him so broken as I did mm. after the game against Dinamo Zagreb. And, you know, he did say, in all fairness to him, listen, it's my team. I'm not going to try and throw the players under the bus, which is something he never used to do, but has certainly crept into his but managerial style. he proceeded style. to throw the players under the bus. He said that in that press conference, and then he started questioning attitude and performance. So he, he did exactly that after he'd made those but comments. I th- but I think... It's only fair that he is able to do that when you yeah. have a two-goal aw- uh, lead and you, in Europe and you throw it away to a team as, you know, inauspicious as Dinamo Zagreb. Mm. I think it's only fair that Mourinho can question the attitude, the desire, the work rate of the players after that result. But I was questioning how does Mourinho scrape Tottenham as a club off the ground and get them to go again? Because going to Aston Villa you know, where's the cliche bell, isn't an easy place to go, obviously when it's full, but they've had a good season and it's just one of those teams where you don't really want to face. I mean, if it was Sheffield United up next, I think Tottenham would have felt slightly better about what happened midweek. But Villa's not the sort of game you want to face when you've had a really difficult two games. So the three games they've had this week, a loss to Arsenal, dumped out of the Europa League and then going to Villa, but they got the job done and I think it was an important win for Jose because... Mm. You know, the questions are already being asked of him and his ability to win trophies and his ability to take Tottenham forward and progress them as a football club in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think it was I think it was vital. I think it was absolutely vital that they managed to get something at least because you don't want a rot to set in um, because that can really spell disaster. The reaction to the loss in the Europa League was pretty poisonous amongst Tottenham fans, Marley. Do you think... If Aston Villa had done a job over Spurs this weekend, do you think that could have been an early exit for Mourinho? Um, no, not not this quickly. Um, I think with just with with the amount of money he's on, it's going to take a complete disaster. Um, and although the Dynamo's a great result is was a disaster, it wasn't a full blown, you know, the club's going nowhere type of thing, um, sort of performance that just left them with nothing. Um, they've still got the League Cup final. Um, I would say if they mm. if they manage to win that League Cup final, it's not even been that bad a season for Spurs because they haven't won a trophy in that long. You know, what is it, 13, 14 years now? That um, that they'll um they'll probably see this as as a 
a chance to still salvage something from the season. And I think until Jose fails at absolutely everything, then his future should be not well, not not quite safe, but you know, not that un, not under an immediate threat. So, like a loss to Aston Villa, for example, if they'd have managed to lose that yesterday, it still isn't the end of the world because Villa, as we've just said, quite a, quite a good team. I know they didn't have Grealish, so you should always beat them when they don't have Grealish. But um, that's that's the the level of club they are. It's not really a, a massive embarrassment. Like if Niall had said then, you know, Sheffield United, if it had been a Sheffield United, they'd turned up and uh, and beat them with no manager and practically practically already relegated. Then um, that would have been another disaster. But as it is, the Zagreb result is one one result. Yes, it was disappointing, but you know you've got to you've got to bounce back from that. And I think they did enough last night to um, to sort of um, start to reset the balance a little bit. But as we know with Spurs, you know they could do anything any week. They could they could go and hammer anyone. They could go and get beat by anyone. Um, so it's about that consistency and that that way of of performing now to the end of the season to prove that Mourinho still got his players on board um, and to prove that he's not doing what he did at Man United, which was basically just spread negativity around the club. <laughs> um, and hope, hopefully he can do that because um, Spurs need him to because it's going to cost them £30 million to get rid of him. It's easy to forget that Spurs are still, as you say, in the League Cup final. They're still fifth in the Premier League. So it's not like it's a crisis at the club yet. As for Aston Villa... Is it just that they haven't got Grealish, Nile that's caused them to dip in form late? Because they just, they seem to lack a little bit of spark. They seem to lack a little bit of cutting edge. They didn't get a shot on target until around the hour mark against Spurs last night. Mm. Is it purely just down to Jack Grealish? And if it is, surely they need to address that because you can't be a one-man team in the Premier League. Absolutely. They definitely need to address it. And it's something we discussed on the preview show over the course of the weekend with Michelle, who's an Aston Villa fan, and I said, Aston Villa are in dangerous territory here of becoming Crystal Palace and how much they rely on Wilfred Zaha. And, you know, the narrative around Crystal Palace is they're good with Zaha or better with Zaha and they're useless without him. And Mm. I think only in recent weeks have they managed to finally win a game without Wilfred Zaha in their team. They had a wretched run when he was out of the side. And, you know, you talk about the word talisman, which gets thrown around a lot and has been in the Premier League this season. You know, you're talking about Jack Grealish, who's Villa's talisman. You're talking about Wilfred Zaha, Crystal Palace's, arguably Bruno Fernandes is Manchester United's. You know, players do have extra importance and extra value to certain teams. But it's like a house of cards with some of these clubs. You know, you take Zaha out of Crystal Palace and the, and the house collapses. Aston Villa, not quite as severe as that. But certainly it's getting that way, isn't it? That when Jack Grealish isn't in the side... The talking points are all. Well, how it are they going to do like without it? Should him? be the case though, does it? When you look at that Aston Villa team, there's good players in yeah, that Aston Villa got, team. Got, even like, even like Ross Barkley in midfield, mm. who you think was kind of would be able to step into that Grealish role and become the playmaker. They've got good enough players to be able to address the issue, Jim. Better than Crystal Palace have got, mm. and I think that that's a concern for Dean Smith. I think he said after the game that you know they need to find a way to cope without him because inevitably, you know, let's just say Grealish does stay at Aston Villa. Uh, for seasons to come, they're going to have pockets of the season where he's not going to be available. The amount he gets fouled Mm. in the Premier League, there's a chance or a higher chance, a higher percentage that he's going to get injured at some point. And so they're going to have to figure out a way of playing without Jack Grealish. Now, whether that's a change of system, more work on the training ground, someone else stepping up to the plate. I mean, they've got players who can do it. You mentioned Barkley. Traore is one of their signings who's looked okay this season in flashes. I still think there's more to come from him. 
um, they do have players capable of, of being able to, to to grab a game. I mean, John McGinn is, is a great player, I think, as well in the Premier League, an absolute workhorse, and he's shown his value over the last two seasons. But certainly Grealish is the glue. He's the man that ties everything together. He's the catalyst. Everything good goes through Grealish. You know, that's the saying that people keep coming up with. And, you know, it's easy to see why there is such an issue when he's not in the side because they're not getting results without him. And you're absolutely right, Jim. It is an issue that Dean Smith has to address it. How he does so, I'm not sure. That's why he's the manager and I'm not. But certainly there is a problem there. And if they let it rumble on, it could become a bit of a subplot, which is bigger than the kind of narrative of the game itself, like what's happened to Crystal Palace. And I don't think a club like Aston Villa will want that to be happening to them. So, yeah, they do need to find a solution to that and find one fast. Always becomes a burden, doesn't it? It's kind of like... um, It's like um, Solskjaer lost the quarterfinal um, to Leicester, didn't Mm. he, in the FA Cup. But every time Manchester United get to the latter stages of a cup competition, the subplot is not can Manchester United reach the final, it's will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer lose another semi-final. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. So they've kind of got an issue there that they definitely need to address because before too long, it will become bigger than the games that they're playing themselves. The fact that Jack Grealish isn't available for them. It was 2-0 on the night. First goal was a brilliant bit of interplay between Lucas Moura and Harry Kane, which resulted in a tap-in for Carlo Vinicius, whose real name is Alves Moraes, which I never really... I didn't know that was his real name. I don't understand what's going on there. How those Brazilians, eh? Has he got two... I mean, he's got four names, not rather than just two names. It's crazy. Second goal was a penalty. What did you make of the penalty, shout Marley? Because it was an interesting one. Harry Kane seemed to step over the ball, almost lose control of it, but Matty cra- Cash crashed into him and gave away the penalty. Was it a fair call? Was it just clever from Harry Kane to kind of step over the ball and almost draw the foul a little bit? Uh, I like how you nearly called him Matty Crash there because it would have uh, would have uh, <laughs> gone into his his what like summed up his tackle quite well. But no, I um I watched it last night and I thought it was not a penalty. Um, I thought look, Kane is very clever. Um, he's he knows when contact's coming. Um, he knows that you know the 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 defender's gone to ground and therefore he can't move. Um, he can't you know m- uh, move his his legs out the way, for example, because his body's already on the floor. So He's um he's likely not looking um at the ball. He's probably expecting it to come in, and um he's he's in his position. So Kane thinks, okay, well I'm gonna start. I'm gonna put my leg across there so the contact comes when he when he slides because mm. he can't stop himself. It's not so much about the contact for me. It's the fact that Kane leaves the ball. Kane's got control of that ball. Um, he's got the chance to put it in, and he actively ignores the ball to initiate the contact. Um, and I, I don't think that should be punished um, under the laws of the game. And then you look at the guy in the black in the middle and it's Mike Dean and you just know that he's definitely going to give the penalty for that because he's he doesn't need any excuse, any second invitation to give a penalty. Um, but no, I think Kane is, Kane's getting like that um, and it's and people notice it, you know, people are seeing it on, you know, with his backing into to players and trying to win free kicks um, and he's... he's close to injuring players when he when he backs into them when they're in midair. Um and I think this is just another one of his little um his little tricks because for me you should never get punished if the attacker actively doesn't kick the ball. Like mm. he, he 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 chooses not to put that cross in or or trap the ball before it goes out of play. It's sliding, it's within his reach, but instead he goes, No, I'm gonna leave that and I'm gonna put my right foot out and Cash is gonna slide into it because he's already started sliding. Um, and he takes the penalty and the referee buys it. So I don't think it's a penalty. 
Um, Niall's shaking his head here. I can kind of see both points here because one of my pet hates in football is when players play for the foul or play for the penalty instead of going for goal when they could maintain possession or they could have a pop-up. I can kind of see where you're coming from, Marley, but I want to hear Niall's side of this as well. I'm baffled how Marley doesn't think that's a penalty. He slides in and he fouls him. It's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. It makes contact with him inside the box and fouls him. How can it not be a penalty? Because that's, he's that's, lost control of the ball. I don't think that there. makes a difference. If you if you went and punched someone in the face and you don't have control of the ball, it's a foul. <laughs> so why does that make any difference? You've slid in and you've made contact with the player in the box. It's a penalty. Now, I understand what you're saying about Kane losing control of the ball. And then I guess the question mark would be, if he's tried to dupe the referee, does he deserve a yellow card for simulation but it's not simulation is but it's it? not a dive because there's contact so i mean I, I can see i can see where you're both coming from that the kind of both sides of the story thing but for me that's a penalty i, I keep I'm, i've got it in front of me now i keep watching it over and over again and i understand kane steps over the ball but cash slides in inside the penalty area when he doesn't need to slide in kane's not mm. really going anywhere he's going towards the dead ball line he's never really going to get a shot off from that angle and i just think that he gives mike dean a decision to make and you know kind of building off the back of Marley's point about you see the man in black and you see that it's Mike Dean. There's one referee you don't want to give a decision to make. It's him. So why are you sliding in in the penalty area? You know, your side's already a goal behind. I can understand that he's a defender and he's probably trying to get a block in to stop the cross into the penalty area. But the pitches now, they're obviously slippery because they're watered before the game by the sprinklers and stuff like that. But he's gone sliding in and he's fouled him in the penalty area. I think it's what people would call nowadays, I hate this term, by the way, cute. I hate mm. that. I don't, I don't understand... I don't understand where that term's even come from. Um, but to be honest, I do understand what Marley's saying about Harry Kane and, you know, kind of stepping up his game in terms of the dark arts. And I don't know whether that's a coincidence that we seem to have noticed it more since Jose Mourinho's come into Tottenham. I think um, there was a moment in the Amazon documentary. I can't quite remember directly the quote, but he said, you know, you need to be bad more. Yeah. Um, and maybe there's a bit of an element of that with Harry Kane. What I will say is Mohamed Salah does... Similar things. I think Mohamed Salah is probably more of a culprit for throwing himself to the ground easily than Harry Kane is. But if this was Mohamed Salah, there'd be uproar. I think there's there'd a difference, actually. Uproar. I think Mohamed Salah, I think he blatantly cheats. He dives. And I don't think this is a dive. I think that this, I don't like what's happened in this scenario. And I think Harry Kane has played for the foul. That's completely what's happened. But at the same time, he has taken contact and it is within the laws of the game. Whereas I think what, and I'm not saying Harry Kane is immune to doing this, but I think on a weekly basis we see Mo Salah and other players as well, it's not him alone, throwing themselves to the ground in order to con the referee, which is cheating. He takes There's Harry, a subtle difference. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching it now, Cash takes Kane's standing leg and definitely Kane looks down at him as he puts his leg down. So Kane knows exactly what he's playing for. So I, I totally get the, the crux of the point. Mm. However, not really any of the Villa players appeal to Mike Dean. There was, there's one player that puts his hands out as if to say, why have you given that? But everyone else my, just gets on with it. My my main issue with it is is when Kane steps over it, the ball's going out of play. But, so but it doesn't matter. Not like, the two players are still I in play. I think it does. I think, I think it does. I think there's no, there's no danger because he, he misses the ball. So he's going out of play. He's not going anywhere. That's why he's bought it for me. That's why he's... I, I think Cash is trying to block the the thing. I don't even think it's a tackle. I don't even think he's trying to slide the ball out of him. He's trying to block it. And I think inadvertent things like that I don't think should be punished because 
there was no danger. It's the same, you know, similar with Lacazette last week. I thought um, Lacazette and Sanchez. I didn't think that was a penalty because Lacazette had the opportunity to score. Mm. Um, he had the first the first dibs at the ball. He had the, the the ball was there to be kicked. He just shanked it, and his follow through landed in Sanchez's leg, and it was a penalty because then there was contact and under the laws of it, you know, there's contact and it's a penalty. But I don't think it should be. I don't think that one should have been given. And I think there was no danger. When Kane steps over the ball, it's running out of play because it's about an inch from the mm. uh, from the byline. So I don't think it's uh, there's any danger. And I think if there's if the ball is that close to going out of play, um, then I don't think there should be. Uh, I don't think it should be a penalty. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that Champions League game, and I always use this as an example between Manchester United and Real Madrid, where Nani is looking at the ball dropping out of the sky, and he tries to control it in midair, and his studs end up going into the chest of I think it was Arbeloa at the time and he gets sent off and I remember they went back to the pundits in the studio at the time I think it was Lee Dixon Gareth Southgate and Roy Keane and they all had a disagreement over whether it should be a red card or not and although Nanny was looking at the ball and he didn't mean to endanger an opponent he does kick Arbeloa square in the middle of the chest and probably should have been sent off for dangerous play now it was an accident but it's still dangerous Mm. play and I think that that's a similar thing to what we see here um, and I think it's interesting because that night, what was it, over 10 years ago now in the studio, three pundits who have played the game couldn't all agree on whether it was a red card or whether Nanny should have stayed on the pitch. And, you know, we've got us three here now, over a decade later, discussing a penalty in a game for something very similar where, the, you know, the margins are very, very fine and perhaps, you know, what is considered a foul and what isn't considered a foul is, is pretty blurred. I don't think you've given your definitive answer yet, Jim, on whether... You think it's a pen or not? <laughs> You've got it, the deciding vote. It is a penalty. It shouldn't be a penalty. <laughs> so it is a penalty under the rules of the game, but, but it shouldn't be. The rules probably aren't right, and I think there wasn't. How too many much... times have we said that this season? It's mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There times? wasn't too much debate from the, as you say, the players on the pitch didn't seem to appeal. The managers afterwards didn't seem to have too much of a problem with it. I think mm. that kind of tells the story there. Fair enough. Isn't um, it? Yeah. Also, after the match, I said we were going to unpick some of Jose's comments. His post-match quotes or in post-match interviews included the quote selfishness is around this is something you need time to develop in a group because society and the psychological profile of young people is not an easy one what's he talking about marley <laughs> who's he talking about and what's he talking about um every interview isn't it with Mourinho? there's an ulterior motive it should come with honest subtitles um his interviews because you know he's He's obviously he's always talking about something else when he's talking about one thing. Um, I think last night he mentioned about the um, the kids that are living a dream, being on the bench and stuff, and he's clearly not happy with the attitude of his of his squad. Um, and in fairness, I think he's got a point in in a lot of um, cases because you know um, the um, the problems that come from from Spurs this season have been down to um, just bit of bit of bit too casual, a bit too, you know, overlooking things, a bit bit of complacency coming in. Um and I think he's he's got a lot of individuals in that team, um, in that squad. And I think, you know, he's he's saying, you know, um these lads like like Dan Scarlett on the bench. I think he's been at Spurs since he was like mm. eight or something. And it he knows what it is to play for Spurs. It is literal dream to play for Spurs. I think he got on in the FA Cup, um him and Alfie White, I think, came on in the FA Cup against Marina, yeah, someone, yeah. someone like that, and uh, they both they both loved it. And it was obviously their it was their you know life ambition to play for Spurs, and a lot of people in the squad, 
you know, that I'm not saying it's just Spurs, it's modern football, you know, they're, they're not made up of local lads and sometimes that's where complacency mm. comes in because, you know, with, with respect to people like, you know, Serge Aurier and uh, who's another squad player for Spurs, you know, maybe someone like... Stevie Bergwijn. Bergwijn, yeah, maybe. Yeah. In and out, Lucas Moore. They have a lot of squad players. Deli Alley. Mm. Well, they, they don't necessarily grow up desperately wanting to play for Spurs and represent Spurs at any level. Um, and that's sometimes where it comes into it. Sometimes, you know, you see you see local lads and they, they give a bit more. Um, and I think that's what's uh, annoying Mourinho that he's there. Mm. He needs to remind his squad that they're, you know, they might not be as good as you players wise and ability wise, but they're certainly. Um, you know, want it more than than some people do. So I think he's just reminding players that, you know, um, he's he's he will give starts and give appearances to players that want to play for the club. He seems to be asking for more time as well, Niall. He seems to be talking about developing a club culture and says that you need time to develop this group mentality. Given how we've seen his career pan out recently when he has been at clubs, we've had this kind of three-year cycle that starts well and then turns into chaos and then implodes. Is he right to ask for more time? Because the more time he spends at a club, the worse it seems to get. Yeah, definitely. I think we've seen those grey storm clouds kind of congregate and descend over clubs whenever Jose Mourinho has been in charge in recent seasons. It happened at Manchester United. It happened in his second spell at Chelsea towards the end. And I think the turning point was when he sacked the Chelsea doctor, Eva Carnero, mm. who the players absolutely loved. And I feel like he's never been the same since then. And I don't know why. It feels like he's kind of lost his magic. And, you know, I kind of hark back to 15 years ago, like I mentioned earlier on in the show about how, you know, Mr. Motivator and I am the special one and all of that. That magic, that shine is completely worn off. It's rubbed away. It's gone. That, you know, almost undefeatable attitude mm. of Jose Mourinho has disappeared. And I think that the novel, not the novelty, it's the wrong word. I think the, the aura around Jose Mourinho has gone. He's still a massive name in the game. He's still one of the greatest managers of the last 20 years of football, no doubt about it. He is one of the Premier League's best managers, no doubt about it. But I do feel that that aura, that demeanour, that kind of touch of magic that he had in the early days has gone. And I think that people don't take him as seriously as they used to. I feel like he doesn't have this, you know, indomitable spirit that Mm. used to be there. And I think that that's kind of part of it. Is he right to ask for more time? I think, yeah, it's fair enough. You know, we keep looking at this season and we'll go back in about 10 years and we'll think, oh, remember that crazy season, 2020-21, where there was no fans in stadiums. We had to deal with a pandemic and strange things were happening. Um, it, it's been an, It's been a weird season and people say, well, that's no excuse. But I think it's fair enough to suggest that for all Mourinho's been through and all the experiences he's had in his football career, he would never have seen anything like this you know, a whole season played behind closed doors. And that's the same for every club. I think it's fair enough that he can probably ask for a bit more time. Also, it's only his first full season in charge and it's still not over yet. And as Marley rightly pointed out earlier, you know, he could still walk away from this season with a trophy. Spurs' first trophy since 2008. He could still walk away from this season having qualified for the Champions League. So you do think back to what was kind of outlined for Spurs at the start of the season, which was almost certainly, finishing the top four and win a trophy, he's still on course to do mm. that. And if they pull the trigger on him now, which I don't think they will for, again, the reasons Marley said about the payoff being too large, and I think we know what Daniel Levy's like. He likes to squeeze every last drop of juice out of his investments. So certainly I feel I feel that Mourinho will be around for a while. In terms of building a legacy and stuff like that, 
The only way you can build a legacy is by being successful. And at the moment, Spurs haven't been successful under him. When they win a trophy under him, I think he'll always have that. He can always have that leverage against the club to say, I won you your first trophy in nearly 15 years. Mm. Show me a bit more respect. And that's one thing Mourinho hates is being disrespected. It will be really interesting to see how Spurs fans feel about Jose Mourinho if he does get them that trophy because they all talk about the sacrifices that have been made in terms of playing style. And in order to make those sacrifices, you need to have that reward. And is the trophy going to be enough? Is the League Cup going to be enough of a prize to balance out a year of terrible football. I don't think it will because I think that, for sadly, for some reason in the last five or six years, the FA Cup, the League Cup and the Europa League have all been considered inferior trophies yeah. and they've all kind of been degraded in their own way. Now, the League Cup is still a great trophy to win, in my opinion. I think there are plenty of clubs out there that haven't won a major trophy in a long, long time that would be very happy to lift the League Cup at Wembley uh, at the end of February, obviously in April now. But I think that that's what's going to happen. If Mourinho does win the League Cup and beats Manchester City, all people will say is, yeah, but it's only the League Cup. And, and that, will, that will be degraded. That achievement will be degraded because it's, it seems like that's the case and that has been the case for some of the lesser trophies in inverted commas in recent years. Mm. People say the same thing about the FA Cup. The FA Cup is an unbelievable competition. It's an amazing trophy. It's the oldest cup competition in the world. But for some reason, if you don't win the Premier League or the Champions League, your achievements are you know, not as good or not up to the standard, which I find absolute nonsense personally. So I think that there will be an element of that, regardless of what Mourinho does. Unless he wins them a Champions League or a Premier League, people are always going to say, oh yeah, well, it's not as good as the other trophies. Even the Europa League, I know they're out now, but that trophy it is the secondary UEFA competition. But still, it's a great achievement to go on and win it. So I think you're right, Jim. I think that he can't win, really. Even if he does win and lifts a trophy, I still think people will say, well, it's only the League Cup. Mm. You know, Spurs should be doing better than that in 15 years. But, you know, you can only win what finals you're in. And Tottenham are only in one. I think we should probably preclude Jose Mourinho from our heroes and villains section that's coming up next. We've already (laughs) hammered him enough. But that is exactly what we're going to do next. We're going to take a look back at the weekend's action, pick our saints and sinners from the last few days. That is coming up next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's look back at the weekend with our heroes and villains from the last few days of football. Should we start with heroes today? Let's start with a positive. Um, who wants to go first? Niall, do you want to go first with your hero? I'll go first, but I think it might make Marley's afternoon <laughs> a little bit worse if All I right, go okay. first. So I, d- I don't know whether oh, this... Would I've, de- al- I've already had a bad morning. I've just dropped a half a custard cream in my, tea, in my cup of tea, so I'm fuming. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> custard cream before 11 o'clock? Wow. You know how to live, yeah. Marley. <laughs> I do not play by any rules. He said he had a bad weekend. Well, I've got a feeling we might be able to combine your hero with Marley's villain then in that case. I think so you're let's probably have a crack right. at this one. Go on, who's your hero? Uh, my hero is Leandro Trossard from Brighton for his performance against Newcastle United. A goal and an assist. A player who has certainly looked impressive, I think, since he arrived at Brighton. And although he's had problems... With injury, he's been out of the side, um, in and out of the side. I think that when he does play, Brighton are a better side. And 
he got man of the match, or at least he was voted man of the match on the Premier League website. I'd be surprised if he wasn't the official man of the match, however that gets determined these days. Um, but an assist and a goal, as I say. Great time to score as well, right at the end of the first half. That would have really f***ed off Newcastle fans. Mm. Um, even though it did look like Brighton were kind of in control of the game, I think, for, for the majority, if not all of it. So to go into halftime nil-nil... You've got a totally different team talk if you're Steve Bruce. Well, maybe not. I don't know how he works. But <laughs> if you're going in 1-0 down, it's a different team talk, isn't Bold it? Bold of you to, to suggest he knows what to say. The best <laughs> but you see what I'm getting at. You know, 0-0, nil, nil, you, you have something different to say in your head than you do when you 1-0 down. And likewise for Graham Potter, um, who will certainly have um, plenty of plaudits for the way that he kind of engineered that 3-0 victory. But we've been speaking about how Brighton have not been able to get the job done in front of goal. And, you know, they've created all these chances. They haven't been able to finish them. They'll be pleased as well, Brighton, that Danny Welbeck and Neil Mopay, two strikers, both scored in the 3-0 wins. So um, I think that they can be really happy with how they performed. Uh, Veltman with an assist, who was kind of tipped as a really good sign-in by us on the podcast. We were quite surprised that I think they picked him up from Ajax, didn't didn't they? So, you know, good sign-in there. Pascal Gross is a, is a good player in the Premier League. I think he's steady. I think he's reliable. Um, and again, he chipped in with an assist, but... Trossard I felt was the one that kind of stood out in terms of every time he got the ball it felt like Brighton were more likely to find the back of the net and you know you never know with Brighton because we've said all season that the reason they're down there fighting for their lives is because they can't finish their chances off but you know Leandro Trossard I don't want to say open the floodgates but you know if you think 45 minutes between 45 and 70 minutes was when Brighton scored all three of their goals and I think that you know it was that quick blitz in about 20 minutes that they got the job done so yeah Trozar for me is the hero I just think because he was the standout performer of the weekend of course there's only three Premier League games but for me I thought he was the best of the bunch mm. not scored many goals Trossard not scored many goals Brighton but you do get the impression when you watch them that they just need that little bit of cutting edge yeah. that they can create they do have these chances but they just can't quite convert them at times. Danny Welbeck's that was his third goal of the season. Trossard, it was his fourth. So neither you term goal machines this season in any yeah. shape of the imagination. Your villain, Marley. I'm taking a punt that it ties in with that result. Uh, yes, it does. Of course it does. Um, but I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm is it Steve the... Bruce? I mean, it does. It is I mean, all oh, Steve Bruce. I mean, that goes with Steve saying. Bruce for the last six weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, do you know what? Even the even the weeks it hasn't been Steve Bruce, I've wanted it to be Steve Bruce. Like, uh, but I just think oh, people will be getting bored now of me just going Bruce is uh, Bruce is a cabbage, blah blah blah. Um, but no, he's, yeah, of course it is. I mean, you know, we got. I beat... fancied you to win. I fancied you to win that game. I've got to say, I thought that was going to be three points because because of Brighton's problems goal scoring. I thought you'd have enough. Do you know what I? I had some. Like a slither of optimism um, going before the match, um, and Newcastle were five to one to win that match. Um, I think we drifted to something like seventeen to two or something before the game. Um, so I thought, oh, I if we win, I'll I'll stick a fiver on it and I'll win, you know, thirty thirty five quid or whatever it is. Um, and that went tits up like straight away. Like as soon as the game kicked off, I knew that I knew I'd lost that fiver. Um, but I I just thought we were. We were shocking, like, even even in the last few weeks where we've been sort of getting the odd point here and there, you know, against Villa and against Wolves, for example. Um, we've been a lot brighter, we've been a lot um, a lot better in possession. Um, but when you come up against a team that is good in possession, you look, you, like, it's just a case of how, how you react. 
and we reacted in the kind of let's go into our shell um, and rush everything type of performance where nobody was comfortable on the ball, nobody kept it. Shelby, again, was god-awful. Um, I mean, Hayden got injured, which is another massive blow to our season because in that freak accident with with uh, Basuma in midfield, so he's another big loss for us. Um, and then Jeff Hendrick came on and I very nearly turned the TV off when Jeff Hendrick came on. Um, <laughs> luckily, I gave it another 30 seconds and we conceded straight away with uh, with Trossard. Um, so, yeah, that's that's not a coincidence, Um in my opinion, when you uh, when you put Jeff Hendrick on and then you instantly concede, but it's are we, just are ev- even you surprised by the lack of spine that this Newcastle team show? Because the one thing you say about Steve Bruce, and I don't think anyone would claim that Steve Bruce is a tactical mastermind, unless they've been drinking heavily for several months. But no one's going <laughs> to claim that. The but what the, the thing that Steve Bruce does or has brought previously to the teams where he has had some success is. He's built teams that are committed and teams that run through walls and put effort in, and that just seems to be completely lacking from this Newcastle team. Um, I, to be honest, I'd even question that. I don't know if he has because it doesn't really matter how hard you you try if you've got no tactical plan, like then you ne- you're never going to win a game. Like I've said this before on the podcast, you know, it, it doesn't matter how determined you are to win a ball. If there's like two guys trying to pass around you and you're one guy, you're not going to get the ball. So that's where you need tactics. And he, he I mean, it, he hasn't got tactics at all. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have a clue about how to set up a team to to even try and go and win a game. Um, I think the only half chance we had was when Fraser hit the post and that just, I mean, that was one of three mm. shots in, in the entire game. And... You know, people can sit and say, "Oh, Brighton are a decent team. They're a good in they're good in possession." The fact is, they're the sixteenth best team in the Premier League. They're the fifth worst team in the Premier League, and we, mm. up until you know going into the game, were the fourth worst team in the Premier League. So you shouldn't be getting absolutely, you know, battered from pillar to post by Brighton. With respect to Brighton, I know that I know they could pass. I know that a lot of people say they're better than their league position, but the reality is they've been fifteenth last season. They were fifteenth the year before. They're probably going to end up fifteenth this yeah. season, possibly sixteenth. Um, and they're not one of the better teams in the Premier League, so you shouldn't be getting completely just pissed on by Brighton. And we have done twice this season because mm. the first time we played them this season um, was the second game of the season where we'd come off the back of a, a win against West Ham, which now imagine you know, now looks an absolute freak result considering how the two team seasons have gone since. Um, and they beat us three 0 at St James's Park, and we barely got a kick. And it was like, okay, right, we've we've been handsomely beaten there. So can we learn our? Can we learn from that? And can we implement a game plan to try and stop them a little bit more and be a bit more solid? And one of the most goal shy teams in the Premier League have managed to stick three past us. Even Danny Welbeck scored without pulling a hamstring. Um, and he's he's managed <laughs> to score and you know three 0 and it's it's not even close. And it it makes that um. The goal difference even worse, um, and just leaves us banging trouble, and it's it's all squarely on on Steve Bruce. Well, you've had a rant about your team. I'm going to have a quick rant about mine because my villain from the weekend is David Moyes, and I feel a little bit harsh doing this given what <laughs> David Moyes has achieved this season. And I could easily blame John Moss for West Ham shipping three goals to Arsenal despite being three nil up early on in the game, but I'm going to put the criticism at David Moyes' door because I think he has done a great job this season, but. His tendency to be a little conservative at times, 
I think has potentially cost us results. And you can't moan too much about where we have dropped points against the likes of Liverpool, but when he could have maybe gone for it and attacked clubs when they have their backs to the wall and he hasn't done it. And I think that was kind of the case against Arsenal at the weekend last night Mm -hmm. was that Arsenal were down and out, conceding three goals that quickly. They looked defeated. But instead of going for the jugular, instead of continuing to attack and play in the same way and pressing forward, West Ham sat back, invited pressure, and Arsenal took full advantage. And I think that blame has got to go to David Moyes. Yeah, I think so. This is something I said as well at the weekend and a couple of weeks ago, particularly after the loss to Manchester United. He is negative when it comes to playing against the big six Conservative. sides. Yeah, and why? Why does he need to be that way? I mean, West Ham have been better than Arsenal all season. But what I don't get is he didn't, the game didn't start in that fashion. He didn't start in a conservative, negative fashion. They started by pressing. And invited pressure towards the yeah, end. Yeah, and then they, yeah. when they got the 3-0, they were like, right, that's it, job done. Let's sit back. Let's protect the lead. Yeah, it's I bet like old, a um, choice. old Jonathan Van Tam wasn't too happy that uh, his being 3-0 up against coronavirus analogy has been completely blown out the water by West Ham conceding three to Arsenal. Um, Yeah, no, I totally see your point, to be honest. And I think that this is an interesting one because nowadays with, you know, the the social media landscape and everything like that, it ties into what Marley was saying about Steve Bruce as well. And I felt something similar when Kenny Jackett was the manager of Portsmouth. The players now, even if they don't try to look on social media, they know exactly what the fan base thinks about a manager. Mm. And I think that the same thing has happened with Newcastle and Steve Bruce. I think it's no excuse for the players for not trying, but I think the players know that the fans hate the manager. And I think that that kind of gives them a bit of a safety screen, let's just say, from a majority of the criticism. Um, And I think it, it kind of deflects away from performances from personnel on the pitch because they know exactly what the fan base thinks of a certain manager I don't think we're getting that with David Moyes but certainly if this continues with West Ham I do think that there'll be more question marks asked of him because a remarkable stat that I've brought up at least three times this week because I can't believe it 19 years ago David Moyes got his first job in the Premier League as the manager of Everton he's never won away from home against Arsenal Chelsea Manchester United or Liverpool Mm. in nearly 20 years as a manager in the Premier League it's just an unbelievable record and I know West Ham were at home at the weekend but that is just it's like conspiring not to win and he's managed Manchester United and he's managed a decent Everton side and this is a good West Ham side you think he would at least have scraped a victory away from home against one of those clubs in the top mm. flight but it's just not happened you're very and, generous describing Arsenal as a top six team <laughs> yeah, big six um, yeah certainly they'd be lucky to get in the top ten at this moment in time but, but yeah I mean like we say Arsenal have been indifferent this Mm. season and West Ham couldn't get the job done but yeah disappointing certainly disappointing I can see why you'd be annoyed at David Moyes for that I'm also very annoyed at the press at the moment because there seems to be these constant conversations about the race for fourth place in the Premier League and West Ham aren't part of that conversation (laughs) it's like Tottenham or Chelsea are going to get it but not West Ham going under the radar Jim it's weird (laughs) Uh, right we're going to rattle very quickly through the last heroes and villains we've got to go here over the weekend for me Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City as a whole because I think they're sitting third in the Premier League at the moment and they just don't get the credit they deserve Mm. season after season Mm. they kind of fly under the radar a little bit and even if we look at them winning the Premier League a few years back now as being a freak incident they've used that and they've built really well and they're now a regular top six club didn't buy any superstars scouted well bought players with great potential and great resale value took the money they got from Harry Maguire and instead of investing it in another superstar player they built a 
brilliant world-class training ground. Yeah. So it's a football club that is being run the way it's run and now they're seeing their rewards third in the Premier League, five points above Chelsea, semi-finals of the FA Cup. So fair play Leicester City and Brendan Rodgers. I think that would be my hero. Who is your villain, Noel? From the same game, um, but from a Manchester United perspective, unfortunately for him, my villain for this week is Fred, Mm. who just had a bad game, didn't he, for United against Leicester in the FA Cup. Uh, A misplaced pass for the opening goal from Ian Acho. I didn't think it was a great ball to Fred in the first place from Harry Maguire, but a terrible back pass. And Ian Acho gets in and scores. It's just sloppy play in general from Fred. I mean, out of possession, he's all right, you know. The energy's there. He's good at some of the more... I don't know, earthy parts of the game, let's just say. But in possession, I don't think he's quite got the quality, unfortunately, to take Manchester United to the levels that they want to be at. And I actually feel a bit sorry for him, to be honest, because he's had stick for a few seasons now. He was bought for 50 million quid from the Ukrainian league. I think it was Shakhtar Donetsk that he came from. I mean, he didn't choose his price tag. He didn't set his price tag, but it's always there hovering over a player as a kind of barometer of how good they should be, which is never never the case. So I do feel a little bit sorry for him there. And it did take him a while to adapt to life in England, let alone English football. And I think that last season he showed how good he could possibly be and for the first maybe third of this season. But I just feel like on the ball, he doesn't quite have the zip that Manchester United wants. And playing alongside McTominay, which is, you know, Solskjaer's preferred two sitting defensive midfielders, the double pivot as they call it. I just feel like even though that's his preferred option, I just don't think Fred's technically quite there to be where Manchester United mm. want to be. I can't see Fred being integral to the side that takes Manchester United back to the top in terms of competing in Europe and competing at the top of the Premier League. So Fred would be my villain. And contrastingly from that game, I think Yuri Tielemans and Wilfred Ndidi are better midfielders than what Manchester United have got aside from Pogba I think that they've got a better midfield than United and that should concern them I think it's hard to argue with that one really Marley wrap us up with a rare bit of positivity (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tried to keep it Premier League focused um, and sort of ignore the FA Cup a little bit so my hero is probably Jesse Lingard again Um, I think I was thinking about, you know, he scored at the weekend. It was absolutely mint goal. Took it really, really well. Um, and I just think simplifying everything has, has helped him massively. Um, I think with Man United, they play a few different systems. You know, they play the 4-3-3 sometimes. They play the diamond midfield sometimes. They sometimes play 4-2-3-1. And I think Lingard, if he was still at Man United, would struggle to get the game time in the same position every week to um, to make an impact. Um, whereas at West Ham, it's four-two-three-one every week, and he's the number ten every week, so he can roam and he can get games, he can get minutes, and he can influence things. And he's a bit of a bigger player in a smaller pond than Man United, um, where his card was marked years ago. You know, it doesn't matter what he did at Man United, the fans would still be like hammering him if Man United lost, and be like, "Oh, what does Lingard do?" You know, he's, he's not good enough for Man United, blah, blah, blah. And then you see Fred turning in shockers every week and you think, hmm, is he is he any worse? Um, but he's he's just found a home at West Ham, I think. Um, and I don't think he'll make it permanent. I think Man United will want to use him again next season and they'll see what he's done at West Ham and think he can play a role um, at Man United next year. And I think that's a bit of a shame because he's he's thriving on being the main man at West Ham, I think. He's the main creative output. He's the main chance creator, the goal scorer. I think he scored, 
what is it, something like five goals now since January, um, since he came in, and he probably got the best of them at the weekend, you know, bending that shot in outside of his foot, absolutely brilliant goal, I know they couldn't hold on to the result, but he was still um, still a top player, and I think he got an assist as well um, in that game, but it's just one of them fresh starts that's really worked, and you see him back in the England team, and you see him, um, you know, he's, he's, he's just thriving basically um sometimes a fresh start can be exactly what you need for a career um and the fact that he's came in played 90 minutes pretty much every week didn't need any time to adjust even though he hadn't played in the last year basically um has been brilliant for him and fair play to him um i just hope he stops doing the the dancing because it (laughs) winds me up i've been really impressed with his fitness and pace as well i think that's been an important part of his game and i think west ham maybe have missed a trick without a commitment to buy at the end of this loan period as you say because certainly his value has gone up over the last couple of weeks if not his potential to continue at manchester united Right, that is it for Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening today. Click subscribe, never miss an episode. And don't forget to check out the Sports Social website for not only the latest news on your team, but also a place where you can discover your next favourite podcast as part of the Sports Social Network. Head to sport-social.co.uk and we'll see you next time. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.